right, good morning, Grace Church. You really do look good for losing an hour of sleep. You really do. Welcome to Grace Church. My name is Justin Ross. We are in part two of a four-week series called Pivotal Moments. And last Sunday, I was out of town. We were in Florida at a pastor's gathering, and we decided to do a little experiment. What we did was I preached a sermon on camera, just like this, and there was about five people sitting in these chairs. And to be honest with you, I had to do two takes because the first one was so awkward, all right? But uh, we showed the video last Sunday uh, during the sermon time, and uh, I just wanted to share with you some of the things that we learned from that little experiment that we did. The first thing that we learned is that um, I should leave town more often, all right? Because uh, we actually had the highest non-holiday attendance last weekend in the history of this church, all right? You're laughing, but you can clap. That's pretty awesome. I think it's cool. Um, so uh, I should leave town more often. All right, we had, we had 291 people in attendance, and I think that's really incredible. The second thing that we learn is that I actually look 20 pounds lighter on camera. All right, so uh, uh, those are the things we learned from that little experiment. So in this series, we are looking at pivotal moments, and last week um, we looked at Jesus when he went into the money changers, into the temple, and he threw over the temple, uh, the, the money changers' tables, And he was angry, and we learned some things from that. But we're looking at a different moment this morning. And these moments all happened in the last week of Jesus' life before his death on the cross. Life is full of pivotal moments. Some good, some not so good. But each unexpected event that comes our way is actually a divine opportunity. An opportunity to develop our confidence and our trust in God who he is, and what he's able to do. We look to the example of Jesus, and we're going to continue to look to the example of Jesus throughout this series to better understand the role that pivotal moments play in our lives. As you already know, moments can cut both ways. A moment in someone's life, whether it be good or bad, it can destroy someone's faith, or it can strengthen someone's faith. You see, people, people lose faith when life gets too easy. And some people lose faith in difficult seasons. It can cut both ways. Either way, life's pivotal moments have the potential to impact your faith for good or for bad. The challenge is, and the hard part about this is, is we don't see these moments coming. Like we, we don't schedule these moments on our calendar. We don't know when they're going to happen, whether it's cancer or the birth of a child or the death in the family, whether it be the loss of a job. We we don't know how these moments will impact our faith until we're right in the middle of those moments. But, But as you know from your own story, big, emotionally charged, unexpected life moments are major factors in the development or the or the erosion of our faith. The conclusions that we make about God in the midst of those moments, they either drive us to God or they drive us away from God. With that said, this Easter Sunday, April 1st, it is going to be a pivotal moment in the lives of many people. Easter weekend is always a great time of the year for us as Christians. We get to celebrate the pivotal moment in our Christian faith. And that moment was when Jesus conquered death and hell, and Satan, and the grave, and he came back to life. That is the pivotal moment of our faith, and we celebrate that Easter weekend. We celebrate 
the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And it's going to be, it's going to be an incredible time. And what we're doing is we're actually going to have Easter weekend up at the Fort Lewis College Concert Hall, all right? We've, we've got that reserved, and we're going to be celebrating up there, and we're hoping the community really shows up. Um, so what's fun about this is we have multiple services. So this Easter weekend, we get to gather all together in one place. I think that's going to be pretty special, going to be pretty fun, get to gather all in one place. And we have been praying, and we've been asking God to fill every seat at the concert hall. And that is, just, just so it's clear, that's over 600 people. All right? We like to dream big here at Grace. That's over 600 people. And I am so passionate about seeing every seat filled at the concert hall because I believe every seat represents a soul. And to be honest with you, the Holy Spirit can't do much with an empty seat. Man, we need ears. We need people to, to, to sit and to listen to the gospel, to the good news of Jesus Christ. And so we're asking you to partner with us and to, uh, man, invite people to come with you April 1st, Sunday, April 1st, as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So when you walked in this morning, you probably noticed there were some chairs uh, mounted on the walls. Um, hopefully you didn't try to sit in one. Um, but uh, we're asking you to partner with us. There's some invitations on those chairs in the lobby. There's some invitations on the table. And honestly, what we've learned um, over the years is, is personal invitations. Like if you just grab one or two invitations and you think of a, a family member, think of a friend, think of a coworker that, that you have relationship with, that you have a friendship with. And what I want to invite you to do is to take the risk, have the courage, have the guts, have the faith to take an invitation and invite someone to come with you. Instead of like just passing them out to, to random people, um, find someone that you know, that you have friendship with, that you have a relationship with, and invite, invite them to come with you. And, and don't and just invite them to show up. Invite them to join you. Say, would you come with me? Would you sit next to me? Maybe after the service, like would you, would you be willing to go to lunch afterwards and, and just build a friendship with them? We have seen, in our experience, that is the best approach. Like, people feel valued. Because, honestly, we want people to feel valued. We want them to know. Like, we're not just trying to fill a bunch of chairs so that we can say, look how cool we are. We're trying to fill a bunch of chairs because we truly believe that the message of Jesus Christ transforms lives. That's why we want every seat full. And so would you come with me? Would you come with me this Easter weekend? And so... uh, once again, I'm just asking you to partner with us because I can't do this by myself, all right? We really need you, and, uh, and we are praying that uh, it's going to be an incredible weekend. And we honestly believe that people are going to hear from God Easter weekend. So I've learned over the years that a good sermon has three components, okay? Besides being based on the Word of God and, and, and besides teaching from the Word of God, a good sermon will have three components, it will have a head component, okay, which is it's information that helps us to grow. It's knowledge. It, it teaches you something about the Lord or about Christ or about the gospel. A good sermon will have a heart component. It's not just about the knowledge, okay? We're not just showing up to increase our knowledge, but we want, we want the sermon, we want the word of God to, to get into your heart 
So that heart component, it, it should move your emotions. It should inspire you. It should help you to grow in love and affection towards Jesus Christ. And then a good sermon also has a hands component. We want you to take what you've learned and to fill it with your heart, and then we want you to go do something about it, okay? I mean, we don't want to just take in knowledge and say, wow, that was a great experience, and leave here unchanged. We want you to take what you've learned, apply it to your heart, and then go do something with it. And so as we get into the sermon today, I have to be honest with you, I'm a little out of my comfort zone, because my sweet spot, personally, is when we're more heart and hands heavy. But today's sermon is is a little more heady, and... uh, it's, it's a little bit more about information and about knowledge, and it makes me a little nervous because I'm just not that smart, okay? But uh, I leave that stuff to Chris, the smart stuff. But we're going we're gonna to dive in. So the sermon today is a lot of knowledge. It's a lot of head stuff. And I left it that way intentionally because here's the idea. I believe that when you increase in the knowledge of God, it, it's meant to move you towards affection for God. Like, the more you know about him and his character and that he is for you and he's not against you and that his love is so incredible and he's so amazing, the more you know about God, it should move you towards affection for God. So hang with me through this sermon. It's not super long, but there is a lot of information. And here's my prayer. I've been praying that at the end of this sermon that you'll walk away and you'll just say, wow, like, I I understand the gospel better have a better understanding of the gospel. So we're looking at another pivotal moment in the last week of Jesus' life before his death on the cross. And what we're going to be looking at is the Last Supper. We're going to be unpacking the Last Supper and diving into that. I personally, I grew up attending church right here in Durango. And one of my favorite Sundays or services as a kid was when we would take communion or when we would take the Lord's Supper. Um, we would eat bread and drink the juice in remembrance of the body and the blood of Jesus. And I think I liked it because I was always hungry as a kid, you know? So, like, having a little snack during the service, I was excited about that. Like, we got to eat something, drink something. As I got older, I realized that it was more than just a snack, right? It was actually a time to think about the cross, to think about Jesus. And now that I've studied the scriptures... I've begun to understand that the Lord's Supper is even more than that. The Lord's Supper is a a powerful picture God placed in the Scriptures to to help us wrap our minds around why Jesus had to die. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever wondered, like, why did Jesus have to die? Like, what is the deal with the whole cross thing? And there's this talk about blood, like being under the blood of Jesus. Like, what is that? Have you ever thought that? Have you ever wondered, like, what, why did Jesus have to die? What is the blood all about? I, I've thought that. I've asked that question. Maybe you've even thought, like, I don't get it. I don't understand. I, 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 don't, I really just don't understand. So let me set the scene for us. If you remember from last Sunday, people from all around the known world are traveling into Jerusalem, and they're getting ready to observe the Passover, to celebrate and to remember And so Jesus, he gathered his disciples in an upper room. And Jesus had just demonstrated what being a true servant really is by washing his disciples' feet. And Judas had just left the building on his way to betray Jesus. 
So the only people left in this upper room were Jesus' true disciples. And he was sitting around with the remaining 11, and Jesus did something. He did something that was, that was very, it's, it's actually really hard for us as 21st century American Christians to understand. Jesus does something that is really radical in this moment during the Lord's Supper. He did something that was shocking. And Mark, one of his disciples, who was right there in the room with him, an eyewitness, he tells us what happened. He tells us the story. And so we're going to pick up in Mark chapter 14, verses 22 through 25. And as they were eating, Jesus took some bread and he blessed it. And then he broke it into pieces and he gave it to the disciples saying, Take it, for this is my body. And he took the cup of wine and he gave thanks to God for it and he gave it to them and they all drank from it. And he said to them, this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice for many. I tell you the truth, I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new in the kingdom of God. As soon as Jesus said those words, I can promise you, that the jaws of the disciples hit the floor. I mean, by saying those words, Jesus had just broken over a thousand years of tradition. I mean, he completely rewrote the meaning and the order of the Passover meal. I mean, they were shocked. If the Jewish leaders had been in the room that night, they would have ripped their clothes and they would have started screaming and saying that Jesus was a heretic and a false teacher and they probably, probably would have tried to kill him right there in that room. To help us understand why this was so radical and how it helps us to, to better understand why Jesus had to die, I, I think we first need to understand the order and the meaning of the original Passover meal. Okay, so let, let, let's talk about the original Passover meal that started all the way back in the Old Testament. For Jews, the Passover meal, it's an annual meal that commemorates a pivotal moment in Israel's history. So back in the day, the Jewish people were enslaved to the Egyptians, and it was a horrible time of oppression for them. And the Passover meal was a time to celebrate and to remind them of how God had delivered them out of slavery, out of Egypt. And remember, people were traveling from all over the known world to partake in the Passover festivities. And so that's what Jesus was doing. I mean, in just, in just a short couple days, Jesus was going to go to the cross and die. But yet Jesus took time to share a Passover meal with his disciples. So there were two things that God commanded his people to do in the Passover in the Old Testament. The first thing was is they were supposed to do it every year. And the second thing was is they were supposed to do it the exact same way every time. So every year, the way the Passover meal would work, the, the head of the house would stand up and he would walk his family through different elements of the Passover meal. And each step reminded them of all the different parts of the exodus out of slavery in Egypt. And Jewish people had been doing this. I mean, they had been doing the Passover since like forever. Okay, they had been doing it for a long time. And Jesus' disciples, these 11 men that were in the upper room with Jesus, they were Jewish. So they would have known the order and the significance of every part of the Passover meal. They would have known it by heart because they would have been doing it since childhood. Yet on this night, Jesus, the head of the house, 
Jesus stood up and for the first time in the history of the Jewish people, Jesus broke tradition and he did Passover completely different than it had ever been done before. So let's better understand the Passover. Okay, The Passover meal, there were four cups. And these four cups symbolized different promises of God. Each one had a meaning. You can find these promises in Exodus chapter 6. But the first cup represented the promise that God was going to rescue them from Egypt. The second cup represented the promise that God would free them from their slavery. The third cup was the promise that that God would ultimately redeem them, not by their power, but by his power. And then the fourth cup represented the future promise of God that he would restore relationship with his people once and for all at some point in time in the future. Okay? All right, are you guys guys with me? Give me a nod. I'm going to check in every once in a while. (laughs) Make sure you're traveling with me. So the the head of the house would stand up and would hold up the first cup, and, it, and he would remind his family that God is going to rescue them from Egypt. And, that, and then he would pass the cup around to his family members, and each person would take a drink and, from the cup, and they would remember the promise from God. And then he would pick up the second cup, and he would do the same thing. He would explain its meaning and the promise of God, and they would pass it around. But before he went to the third cup, he would grab some bread. And this bread was referred to as the bread of affliction or the bread of suffering. And so he would hold up this bread and he would break it, reminding his family that the bread stood for suffering or affliction. Each person in the family would get a piece of this bread, they would eat it, and while they ate it, they would stop and they would pause and they would remember the affliction of their forefathers when they were slaves in Egypt. Now, now imagine with me, okay? Imagine with me the disciples' shock when for the first time in over a thousand years, Jesus broke from this tradition. Listen to what Mark's account says. As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and he blessed it. Then he broke it into pieces and he gave it to the disciples saying, take it, for this is my body. In the original language, it reads, take, because I am myself this bread. Like their jaws would have hit the floor. From now on, the broken bread no longer represented the affliction of their forefathers. It now represented Jesus' body and the reality that he would soon take on the affliction of all people on the cross so that we wouldn't have to. The kingdom of God would be established by the breaking of Jesus' body. He had been telling them this for years, but the disciples didn't get it. I mean, we still don't get it. They didn't understand that Jesus had to die to establish his kingdom. They thought that it would be established or that it would start by force. They thought, you know, they would break the back of the Romans through military might. But on this night, in a crazy, radical way, Jesus told them, I'm not going to do it that way. The kingdom of God is going to be established by breaking something, by breaking my body. He was going to take on the affliction of all people. He was going to take it on himself. He was talking, what Jesus was talking about, he was talking about the cross. He was talking about the nails in his hands and his feet. 
He was, he was talking about the torture that he was about to endure. He was talking about the beatings that he would have to go through and the crown of thorns that would be beat into his skull. He was talking about the nakedness. Not the pictures you see on the paintings, but completely naked, hanging, exposed, embarrassed. The pain and the fact that even though he had never sinned, I mean, the only thing Jesus was guilty of was loving people. He had never sinned. Even though he had never sinned, he's about to take the sin of all the world upon himself. He was about to be separated from his heavenly father. Let let me say something to, to those of you that come from broken homes or fatherless homes. I know many times we think, man, there's no one that can relate with what I'm going through or what I'm facing. Do you know that you serve a God who can understand, who can relate? Who is separated from his heavenly father because he became sin. Remember, he had known his father for all eternity. In the traditional Passover meal, it didn't stop there. After this, the the head of the household would lift up some, some bitter herbs and some fruit, and they would eat them to remember the bitterness of their slavery in Egypt. And what Jesus did, Jesus just skipped right over the herbs. He didn't even talk about them. He passed right over them. Jesus was saying that the new king, the new kingdom that he was going to establish would once and for all take away the bitterness of the slavery of sin. In the original Passover meal, the head of the house would hold up a food mixture. It's actually referred to as the koraset. And it was a mixture of apples and nuts and wine and cinnamon. And it actually represented the mortar that they made bricks with when they were slaves in Egypt. It was to help them remember that. Once again, Jesus broke with tradition and he completely skipped over the fruit to show them and to show us that this new kingdom that he's establishing would free us once and for all from slavery. And then finally, the head of the house would stand up and he would serve the main course. Now, this is the best part. Involves some meat, okay? He was about to serve some lamb. And as they ate it, the story would be told as to why they're eating the lamb. The lamb reminded them of the first Passover night when they were slaves in Egypt. God was trying to loosen the grip of Pharaoh um, on the people of Israel. And if you remember, he was sending plagues such as frogs and flies and boils. And he even turned the Nile River into blood. But the final plague that he sent was the plague of death. And in this one final act, God would bring his sword of justice on the Egyptians. And he would send this angel of death to kill the firstborn son of every house. But God provided a way to be saved from this death angel. They had to take a spotless lamb. They had to kill the lamb and take its blood. And they had to put it over the doorpost of their home. And if they did this, the death angel would pass over their house and everyone inside would be saved. Hence, the Passover. That's why it's called the Passover. So not only did Jesus skip the herbs and the fruit, but he didn't talk about the lamb either. I mean, like, why didn't Jesus talk about the most important part of the Passover meal, the lamb? Jesus was showing his disciples 
that he was the lamb. They didn't have to kill a lamb anymore. That's why Jesus is referred to as the lamb of God. Maybe you've heard that and you're like, what does that mean? I'm so confused. Jesus is the lamb of God. In just a few hours, he would go to the cross. He would shed his blood. And if we would simply trust in his once and forever sacrifice, and if we would place our lives under the blood of Jesus, the angel of eternal death will pass over us. We will have everlasting, eternal life. So after breaking the bread, Jesus jumped right to the third cup. And the third cup represented the promise of God to ultimately redeem his people, not by our power, but by his power. Look at Mark 14, 23 and 24. And he took the cup of wine and he gave thanks to God for it. And he gave it to them. And they all drank from it. And he said to them, this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice for many. Jesus' blood redeems us. It's his blood that saves us. It's it's not by our efforts. It's not by our works. We, We can't do enough good things. You can't help enough old ladies across the street to earn God's favor, okay? It doesn't work that way. You can't do it. It's not in your own strength. God saves us through the blood of the Lamb of God. And that's why John the Baptist, when when he saw Jesus for the first time, he pointed out the fact, he said, look, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Let me explain it this way. I'm I'm trying to remove all the churchy language. I want us to understand this. I want us to appreciate this. When, When God looks down on Justin, when God looks down on Justin, he sees brokenness. He sees sin. He sees a mess. A mess. But at the age of 13 years old, I made a decision to follow Jesus Christ with my life. I confessed the fact that I am broken, that I'm a mess, that I'm a sinner. And I confessed that. And I said, I, I can't fix myself. God, I need you. And I believed in Jesus and what he did on the cross, that he died and was buried and that he's alive today. And I asked Jesus to forgive me and to be my God. And at that moment, the Holy Spirit of God came into my life. I became a child of God. Not because of anything that I did. Not because I'm so cool, but because of what Jesus did. That's the only reason that I can be free, that I can be saved, is because of what Jesus did. So now when God looks down on Justin, he doesn't see the brokenness, he doesn't see the sin, he doesn't see the mess. Because of the Spirit of God in me, when he looks at Justin, he sees Jesus. I am under the blood of Jesus. I I am perfect in the sight of God the Father because of my faith in Jesus Christ. That's what we mean when we say that we're under the blood of Jesus. Maybe you've You know, if you've been around the church arena at all, you've heard that phrase, the blood of Jesus, under the blood of Jesus, and maybe it has completely weirded you out. Okay, I'm just here to tell you this morning, it's not some weird cult ritual. We're not going to take you into a back room and slaughter a lamb and pour blood on you, okay? We're not going to do that. What it simply means 
is that Jesus is in us. And it's because of His blood. When the God the Father looks at us, He sees Jesus and not our sin and not our brokenness. We're under the blood of Jesus Christ. And the judgment of God, okay? God is perfect and holy and righteous. And yes, He's angry at injustice. And there is wrath. There is judgment. But because of the blood of Jesus Christ, the judgment of God passes over us. I don't know about you, but that is incredible because I am messed up. If God was to hold my mess against me, I am in big trouble. If he's going to hold your mess against you, you are in big trouble. But because of Christ, we can be considered innocent, completely free, and forgiven. Your past isn't held against you. And I think that's incredible. The fourth cup, or the fourth promise, was a future promise that one day God would completely renew the relationship he had with his people. Remember, the relationship had been broken at the very beginning in the book of Genesis. Remember, Adam and Eve sinned. The relationship between us and God was broken. So it had to be mended. It had to be reconciled somehow. At the Last Supper with his disciples, Jesus did not pick up the fourth cup. But he did say this, Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. There is coming a day when all the people of God, all of those who have uh, made the decision to believe in and to follow Jesus Christ, will lift up the fourth cup together and drink it together with Jesus in heaven. And we will say together, Here's to you, Jesus. It's all because of you. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be incredible. So what does this have to do with pivotal moments? What does this have to do with pivotal moments, Justin? I'm going to finish with a question. Have you ever had that moment? A moment that you can remember, a moment that you can recollect, Have you ever had that moment in your life, and it's not, I've always believed in God, or God's just always been with me. No, have you had a moment where you made the decision to follow Jesus with your life? And it wasn't your parents' faith, it wasn't your grandparents' faith, it wasn't your wife's faith, it was your decision to follow Jesus Christ with your life. Have you had that pivotal moment? That's the most important pivotal moment in your life. I mean, this has everything to do with pivotal moments because I don't want you to miss out on that moment when we raise up the fourth cup in worship to Jesus Christ. Like, Make the decision today. Make the decision to follow Christ and the Spirit of God will enter your life. And here's the cool part. When God the Father looks down on you, he won't see your jacked upness anymore. He will see you perfect in his sight because you will be under the blood of Jesus Christ. Okay? One of these days, we're going to learn not to golf clap. All right. Thank you for golf clapping, though. Let's do it. Let's, do it. Let's try it a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. There you
what it is, when Jesus is in you, it's freedom in its purest form. That's what it is. We live in a culture where people want to be free. This is freedom in its truest definition, in its purest form. So in just a moment, we're going to take communion. And uh, I just, I mean, I hope that it's a little bit more meaningful by what we talked about this morning. hope it means a little bit more to you. Hope, hope there's a little bit maybe better understanding. That when you take the bread, you think about Jesus and his broken body. When you drink the juice, you think about his blood and how it actually, man, it's because of his blood that I am perfect in the sight of God. And he's not holding my past against me. Um, so we're going to take communion. And I also want to invite you, if, if you've never had that moment, and you're like, man, I, what do I need to do, Justin? Like, is there certain magical words I need to say? No, just, I want to invite you to come and talk to me. I want to invite you to our prayer room. Just when you walk out to the lobby, there's some incredible volunteers who can talk to you about what it means to put your faith in Jesus Christ. But it's as simple as this. It's a decision. It's a, it's a commitment. Like when you committed to, to get married to your spouse and you said forever, it's, it's that kind of a decision. You're saying, man, I, I, I don't understand everything. I don't have all the answers, but I'm going to accept this by faith. I'm going to believe, and I'm going to follow, and I'm deciding to follow Jesus. And like we sang earlier, no turning back. I'm all in. It's as simple as that. There's no magic potion, no magic formula. And you believe in Jesus, and then you follow Jesus. It gets from this to here, and then it plays out in life. So I want to invite you to the prayer room. And I also want to invite you, there's just another way. You can fill out one of these guest information cards. You can write your name down, and you can say on the back, I'm deciding to follow Jesus, and you can say, I want to meet with a pastor. You can just talk to us this way, okay? You can put it in the offering box. Maybe coming to talk to me is just a little intimidating. I'd be a little intimidated. Um, But you can take this to the offering box or to the Welcome Center. Um, I just think it's a good idea to let someone know your decision because then we we can help you to grow in your faith and talk about some next steps. So I'm going to pray. And then when you are ready, when your heart is prepared...